can see those water droplets up there. That's melting snow. Okay? I'm thinking positive here. <laughs> Actually, uh, Jonah's all about water, right? Or just about. Jonah, and we've uh, looked at verses 1 through 3, and we want to uh, continue on here in our study of the Minor Prophets. And the title of our message this afternoon is Found Out. And looking at uh, actually verses 3 through 9. I wonder, do others know you as you really are? You know, perhaps that could be an uncomfortable question. For I think there are many people who diligently work at masking the real person that they are. Uh, but can that masking last forever? Well, the Lord declared, For there is nothing covered that shall, be not, that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Paul explained in a passage addressing judgment that when the Lord comes, He will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. So masks may, can be worn, but they're not going to be worn forever. A few years ago, there was a story uh, that told about a man who wore a mask for 25 years. In other words, he lived a double life. Earlier in his life, he had committed a terrible crime. He fled to another state. He assumed another identity. He married, raised a family, and maintained his, uh, his anonymity. But he could not run away from the voice of conscience that kept crying out for justice. And though he was considered an exemplary citizen in his community, he turned himself in to this local police department. He confessed to the crime that he had done two decades earlier. And so his mask was off. And God is in the business of removing our masks. Jonah had done a great job of hiding his relationship with God. He was contented to be just another passenger on this ship sailing across the Mediterranean Sea to what was then a remote country of Spain. That's where Tarsus is. But in the revelation of God in the stormy sea and Jonah's confession, Jonah's mask was removed. And the revelation of God exposed his heart as it also exposes our own hearts. And the question might be asked of us today, are we laboring to cover up what is true of our heart? And be assured as we consider the biblical example, the Lord will expose the reality of our hearts, and we need to give attention to this important truth today. Notice, first of all, the backslider. Identity concealed. The backslider, identity concealed. We've already considered how Jonah was accustomed to being used of God. He knew the Lord. He understood something of his mercies. Uh, he believed that God could accomplish whatever he desired. But something went awry in Jonah's life. Perhaps when the Lord, word of the Lord came to him to preach God's judgment 
against Nineveh. Jonah was a in a kind of a spiritual lull in his life. Ever been there? Kind of a low point spiritually. And perhaps it was simply the shock of going to Israel's enemy to preach that sent him kind of going into this spiritual lull, if you please. Whatever the case, Jonah, the believer, was a backslidden man. And backsliding comes in two forms. The Bible uses the term or similar terms to describe a person who makes a pretense of true religion but gives way to sin. And the failure of his profession becomes evident by his return to his sinful ways. A clear example of this would be Judas Iscariot, who was having made a profession of Christ, provided, uh, proved out that his profession was an empty profession. Uh, there, uh, there are those whom the writer of Hebrews describes as them who draw back into perdition. The religious landscape of our country, of America, is filled with this type of backslider. There are literally millions of people who call themselves Christians and they only do what? Return to their perpetual life of sin. Now the second form of backsliding involves those who have first entered into a genuine relationship with the Lord, but for some reason, inexcusable as it may be, the believer has grown cold in Christianity and has allowed the patterns of his old life to slip to the forefront of his life at that time. And he keeps himself from those spiritual disciplines of being in the Word, of faithfully praying, of fellowshipping with other believers, uh, with meditating upon the Word of God, thinking about what the Word of God says, and in even witnessing and that keep uh, those are things that would keep your heart warm. The Word of God, faithful in prayer, fellowship of believers, meditation, regular meditation upon God's Word, and a, a faithful witness will keep your heart warm for the Lord. And so this backslider, though, falls into sin and spiritual coldness, and he kind of sets aside all those very important aspects of his Christian life. You know what I'm talking about? Being in the Word, praying, fellowship of believers, being a witness. And when we set those things aside, we become a backslider. The backsliders never satisfied being a backslider. And these two types of backsliders are really sometimes difficult to distinguish. Whatever difference there be between a partial or a total departure from God, it would be difficult, if not impossible, for the party himself at the time to realize it. So long as any man continues in a backsliding state, the reality of his religion is going to remain uncertain. 
The scriptures know nothing of what of that kind of confidence which renders men easy in their sins. Now Jonah was a backslider. And he certainly was not easy in his sins. No backslider of the believer sort is comfortable boasting of his backslidden condition. This kind of backslider would rather cover up or mask it and pretend, well, everything's okay in my life. You know, just going along. And yet there's going, a, going on in his heart and his life a battle against the Lord. There's a wrestling in his soul because the Lord is pressing heavy upon his life and disciplining the believer until he knows the light of heaven once again upon his life. So those are two forms, making a pretense of religion but giving way to sin, a genuine Christian who grows cold. And so we see here in Jonah, first of all, a sleep of despair. It says here in verse 3, But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it. Notice Jonah's going on a downward path. And that's what usually happens for a backslider. Down into the ship and to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah was down in the sides of the ship. And that's where he lay, as it says in verse 5. Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship. He lay and was fast asleep. Some think that the Hebrew expresses the idea that Jonah was snoring loudly with the roar of the storm. I don't know. Maybe he had a snoring problem. Maybe he needed a machine, a CPAP machine. <laughs> I don't know if that done him any good. But we do suppose that Jonah was simply ignoring what was taking place. And it seems to us to maybe say, how can he do that? How could he just ignore it? This storm was of such proportions that even the seasoned sailors who were accustomed to weathering the unpredictable Mediterranean Sea were absolutely frightened. Instead, it seems that Jonah had exhausted himself fleeing from God. And there is a lot of emotional energy demanded for the task of disobeying the commands of God. That is, if you are a believer, you cannot just thumb your nose at God as if he demands it, uh, no, it as no, of no importance. Jonah took seriously the word of God. But his stubborn defiance pushed him over the edge into disobedience. He ran away probably looking over his shoulder on each step, hoping that God would not stop him. And when he finally arrived, he assumed that the good providences of the Lord had guided him to the anticipated haven. But he was soon to learn the important lesson, do not be guided by providences when you are refusing to be guided by God's word. 
Again, the Christian backslider can never be comfortable in that condition. And I've encountered people who laughingly call themselves backsliders. Oh, I'm a backslider. Ha, 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 yeah, I'm a backslider. Uh, Don't worry about me. I don't know if they were ever believers in the first place. The man who has truly known the grace of God in his life finds himself in the most miserable of positions, being at odds with God, who has shown him grace through Christ. The roller coaster emotions of thinking we've thrown off some difficult yoke that the Lord only leads him into plunging reality that the yoke only gets heavier for those who walk out of fellowship with Christ. Sleep of despair. Secondly, mistaken identity. The last thing Jonah wanted was for the men of the ship to discover that he belonged to God and that he was running away. A backslidden prophet is nothing, has nothing to be proud of. As far as the captain and the crew were concerned, Jonah was just another Middle Easterner heading to a remote land for some unspecified purpose. And I think the most telling observation of mistaken identity is when the captain demands that Jonah call upon thy God. Now, I don't know if the captain of the ship knew God or knew that Jonah was a man of God. It would seem that Jonah was kind of going along anonymously when he came to the, his relationship to the, when it came to his relationship with the Lord And that's a characteristic of a backslider. Remember that Christian secret service I was talking about earlier today. Someone trying to be uh, saying, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to let anybody know. If he could just not bring up the reality of the Lord. If he could just avoid any conversations which point to the Lord. And so misery is his only companion. God is never pleased with a Christian's anonymity. We cannot be secret disciples. We cannot just blend into the woodwork of the world as though there is no distinction in our lives. Again, as we mentioned earlier today, we are to be salt and light, which makes it a mark for the sake of Christ in this world and so we have to ask, do we, do those around us truly know we're Christians? It's distinctiveness of a believer's life in Christ that should always keep us from being anonymous. John thirteen thirty five. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. 1 John three ten. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his neighbor. And so if we're living in anonymity as a Christian, then we're backslidden. And there's a need for repentance. Thirdly, we notice the plight of prayerlessness. And one thing a backslider does not want to do, and that is to pray. And yet that's the very thing the ship captain called upon Jonah to do. It's words strikingly similar to God's call in verse 1 
or chapter 1, verse 2. God said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come before me. The captain said, Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Now we don't have a record of Jonah's immediate crying out to God in that in prayer, but he knew that to do so would be hypocritical on his part. For his willingness to repent of his sins had not yet gripped his heart. How could he ask God when he was unwilling to obey God himself? A backslider would need a prayer meeting, or would find a prayer meeting, very uncomfortable place. And there we find our hearts knit together in the presence of Holy God who has welcomed us through the righteousness of Jesus Christ and our fellowship with the Lord grows in prayer as we pray together. Our sense of dependence upon the Lord is expressed in prayer. But the backslider avoids prayer because he knows that he cannot linger long in a place of prayer without the floodgates of grief coming over him because of his sin. I wonder, could it be that someone among us here finds himself much like Jonah? You identify him in his despair because you are emotionally wretched from trying to get away from God's hand. Whether it be at school or on a job, you're not even known as a believer. Because your behavior has blended in with the world. You find yourself increasingly uncomfortable around praying Christians. And yet the longing of your soul, the great hope of your heart, is that you might once again know the fire of God burning fervently in your heart. And you need to cry out to God even today that he, he might bring you back to his delights. So that's the backslider. Secondly, notice the world identity revealed. Now, standing in sharp contrast to Jonah is the picture of the world as seen through the lives of the ship's crew. And while Jonah slept, they feared death. Jonah was resigning himself to inactivity. He said, well, I'm just going to lay down and go to sleep. They were doing everything they could to save their lives. And even they were going to save Jonah's life, and yet nothing was work, working. Uh, they were pragmatists. To the hilt. Uh, they were searching for anything that might work in, to eliminate the discomfort that d had uh, surrounded them. Now, Jonah knew better. And you notice here clearly evidence in the person who does not know God. There's a fear of death. We are immediately confronted by the fear of death. Eve, if we only could have seen their eyes. If we could have got a picture of those sailors and their eyes and what the look on their face would have been, we would get the full picture. Because here were men who knew what it was to be in the rough seas. But they had never seen anything like this. It says, Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God. Uh, the ship's captain was among their number. And he rebuffs Jonah. He says, What meanest thou, O sleeper? I think that has to be read with 
not only a question mark, but an exclamation point. How can you sleep at a time like this? He did not understand anyone facing death and sleeping. Now, ancient historians tell us that during the first century, when someone died, there was a great lamenting that took place. There was a loud wailing, could be characterizing the company of the deceased. And the sorrow was one of great despair, of hopelessness, of futility. And that's why Paul declared to the Thessalonians that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Because sorrow at death was a natural part of dealing with the sense of loss. But there is also a sorrow of hope and a sorrow without hope. I've noticed both of these emotions at the funerals that I have attended or had uh, uh, in, in my lifetime. I recall attending funerals where the deceased did not know the Lord, nor did his family. Oh, there was a wailing. There was a loud crying. There was, it was like almost torture of the body. People were so terrified. And there's only one reason for that. Their loved one faced death without God. And they were in the same position. If they were to die, they did not have any hope. Now, Christianity is certainly not just for your dying days. But it certainly does enable you to face death totally different than others. The believer is consoled to know that death is not the end, but only the wondrous beginning of an eternity with Christ in his presence. And the unbeliever does not have that hope. He spurns God in his lifetime, but when death comes, he dies with an eternal hopelessness. He spends his life making a name for himself, accumulating wealth, entertaining pleasures. But for what? He gives himself to idolatry of things for a few transient years, only to sacrifice all eternity in the presence of the Lord of glory, and he should fear death. But there is hope in the Lord. Ezekiel wrote, As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? So there is a fear of death here, pictured by these sailors who are picturing the world. There is also an errant theology. The unbeliever has an errant Theology, his whole understanding of God is wrong, it's twisted, it's distorted, it's shaped by his culture, or even his own way of thinking. This phrase here, and cried every man unto his God, demonstrate these men believe that each community or race or culture had its own God or God's and they were trying to appease whatever idea of a God they had in mind. And these were men who probably gave only a scant thought to their own tribal deity, but now they were in crisis. Now they're crying out to that which is not a God. If it were not so tragic, it would be almost humorous. Each man trying to pray to his different God, each man trying to come up with the magic bullet, so to speak, which would work to stop this raging storm, 
And each one was hoping to hit the right formula, the right mystical incantation, the right posture to appease the God who created the storm. And they wanted Jonah to do likewise. You know what? Jonah knew better. Because he was a man of God, but he was a backslider. So believers at heart have an errant theology. Their theology is all wrong. And that ought to be our thoughts as we try to witness to unbelievers. You know, when we look at people we encounter, whatever we might be, we find that most people have the wrong view of God. And that's why much of what is passed off as evangelism in our day, which offers no theological content, only gives believers a, unbelievers a false assurance that they're not going to face the wrath of God. Just simply talking to an unbeliever, into, you know, talking them into acknowledging a, a couple of things like, you know, you know, you believe in Jesus, you know, you believe you're a sinner, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll say this prayer or sign this card. That doesn't create a new heart. The gospel begins with God. If a person's whole view of God is warped, then how can he understand that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us? That God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. It was Jonah's brief explanation of one true God which arrested the attention of the sailors and pointed them to a true relationship with God. And so that brings us to the inadequate religion. The religion of the sailors was not going to work. They tried everything they could. They exercised all the religious practices that they could have mustered, but nothing was working. Their religion proved inadequate for the crisis they faced. And I hope no one has that kind of religion here. But some people who attend even fundamental Baptist churches are really no better than these sailors. Their religion is lacking, inadequate for facing the demands of life. They give up on Christianity because they never really knew Christ. And their character of being a Christian falls way short when they're faced with a tragedy or a crisis. And so we see the desperation of these sailors as they paused in their battering rage of the storm, and they cast lots. They're playing the lottery. They approach it superstitiously. Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause the evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Well, we must give it to them. At least they understood that this was no ordinary Mediterranean storm. It was the Lord who hurled this storm upon Jonah, and those who now were uncomfortable were unfortunately part of the fellowship, of his fellowship. As Solomon wrote, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. They did not know this verse, but they saw God's sovereignty in reality. And so it was at this point that they started moving from their inadequate religion to embracing another God which made the sea and the dry land. Have you ever been trusting in a false understanding of God? 
Have you ever developed your way to God that bypassed the cross of Christ and now you wonder, what's wrong with my religion? Well, though Jonah was a backslidden prophet, the sailors still came to understand that his God was the true God. That brings us to the Lord. Identity unveiled. There are many beliefs about God in our day. As a matter of fact, there are literally thousands of gods whom people believe in that have nothing to do with the one true God. And these gods are revealed by little statues or vague philosophical concepts or tribal superstitions or creative imaginations. And our God is too immense to fall into such worldly foolishness. So how does God reveal himself? Well, obviously, we have an entire Bible before us, which has as its great purpose to reveal God to us by the illuminating work of the Spirit. And so let's focus on a small portion of God's word here before us. How is God revealed? The God of the storm. Our text says that our God is the God of the storm. It says there, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Now, we all know of insurance companies who refer to natural acts of weather as acts of God. Isn't that amazing? Unbelieving people, insurance companies say, well, that was an act of God. Well, I'm glad they recognize God exists and that God's in control. And we surely see this in the case of Jonah. For the phrase used, sent out. For the Lord sent out a great wind. That's the same as describing a soldier throwing a spear accurately at a target. And he did, and God did have a target, didn't he? His target was a rebellious child called Jonah. And so the weather became God's instrument to arouse the attention of Jonah and even those around him. And God testified of himself in the midst of the storm. It is God alone who commands nature. For his purposes. And when Jonah testified that it was his God who sent the dreadful storm, the sailors were absolutely stunned. And someone has offered an accurate testimony of Jonah. Heaven, sea, and land, Jonah mentions. See the howling heavens swirling about you. My God made them, he says. Feel the sea heaving under your feet. My God made it. Sense the presence of the rock coast ahead where you soon may crash. My God made it. All of the elements of the world belong to God. They're at his disposal. Every atom, every every piece of, of this earth and this universe is of God. The same God who used the Mediterranean storm to testify of his power before a group of Roman soldiers transporting Paul to Rome. The same God stirred the winds and the seas of the Galilee when the band of frightened disciples attempted to row back to shore only to see come walking on the water to them. And they said, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? It is the Lord, our creator and redeemer. Jonah saw that 
the Lord who had made him is also the Lord who saves him from the plight of his sin. It was the storm of God's discipline sent to arrest this backsliding prophet. And I hope we can see that even the storm was a demonstration of God's mercy and his love toward his child. We think of Hebrews 12, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous nevertheless. Afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. The God of the storm. Secondly, there's transcendent creator. Notice verse 9. And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Jonah wanted the sailors to know that God, his God, was not just a local tribal deity. These men probably all had their own image of a a God, a local God, but he said, no, this is the Lord, the God of heaven, which made the the sea and the dry land. This is not an ordinary God made of stone or sticks. He was a God who is beyond us, the Lord, the God of heaven. And so Jonah makes sure that they separate in their minds all their wrong concepts of God which they owned. And he points to this out, that this God is the one who made the sea and the dry land. He created the heaven and the earth. Thirdly, we notice God of his people. Jonah identified himself as belonging to God. He said, I am a Hebrew. Now the Jews were a despised people in that time. But here Jonah goes back to reality before him that he belonged to God. He was one of God's people. He was different from their sa- these sailors who were crying out to their puny gods. Even though he was backslidden, he understood that God had come to him. I wonder, do we have that same assurance this afternoon? Maybe we're not on a ship raging uh, in a raging sea, but you're walking through life, and our life is full of difficulties. Do you have the assurance that you, through Jesus Christ, are his child? I trust we've all found that out. And the Spirit of God has exposed our own heart if we're in rebellion against him. Either you belong to him or you're under his judgment. If you truly are born of God, but have grown cold in your affections toward Christ, then we need to repent, return to God, run no longer. And plead for the refreshing mercies today to restore us the joy of knowing Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer.